You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey, brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking tribe. tuning in. We are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Senior Contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Farm Report Podcast. Another week of minor league storylines to discuss, and we're going to get into them right here and now. Joining me as always, my friend and colleague here at IBI, Corey Christen. Corey, how are you doing this week? Doing better. The Indians are in the midst of, what, 18 games in 18 days? So they're in a marathon, just as we're in a marathon with these uh, podcasts, we're lining up a lot of content on the site, in the podcast, and every week I feel like we get to different players one way or another, and that's what's really cool about the Indians organization. And there's never a story that is untold. It, there's always room for more. And uh, this week there's going to be a couple guys that, you know, are familiar, but a couple that we really haven't touched on much this season. So, Definitely looking forward to another week of prospect talk. Jake, it's good to be back. Absolutely. So let's get to one of these guys who we're pretty familiar with, or at least we at least we have discussed uh, at, at length uh, at different points during this podcast uh, over the, the course of the season. So uh, we're talking, of course, about Daniel Johnson, who right now is – I don't even know if raking is the right word for what he's doing in Akron right now. This guy – uh, it seems like more often than not right now, if he's going to hit the ball, it's going to go out of the ballpark. And it's not like he's just all or nothing either. I mean, he's batting three forty one with a four thirteen on base, eight fifty four slugging percentage. Let that be your guide right there. He's got six home runs and 14 over, RBIs over his last 10 games. I mean, the guy is just hitting everything in sight right now. And mind you, the Eastern League is not really a hitter-friendly league, especially the confines of Canal Park. I mean, that's more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. And, you know, the weather, I know we've had a few warmer days of late, but overall the weather has not quite warmed up yet. Uh, And yet here's Daniel Johnson. He's got nine home runs already. He had seven home runs all of last year in 96 games. Granted, he had part of that season uh, sidelined because of a hamate bone injury. But, you know, he's looking more like the guy who we saw in 2017 when he was with the Nationals. Hit 22 homers, drove in 72, over 130 games between uh, the A-ball levels. And, you know, 298 average, 861 OPS Really put himself on the map that year as far as being a top-end prospect. And here he is, 36 games into his 2019 campaign with the Indians. And right now it's looking like a, a guy who could uh, be something special for the Indians, potentially. I mean, I know it's 30-something games. It's still a small sample size. We'll see how the rest of the season progresses. But nice to see him bouncing back so nicely after what essentially was kind of a lost season last year. He's really playing well and this uh power stroke of late is nothing short of impressive absolutely and like you alluded to he's going back to that 2017 form where he was the nationals minor league player of the year 
And in fact, in a lot of ways, he's improving on those marks. Um, his walk percentage is up, which is really impressive considering his batting average on balls in play is down and his strikeout number is a little up. So he's finding w- more ways to reach base. He's finding different ways to reach base. And that goes without saying he has a 916 OPS this season. That's uncanny right now for him, considering the injury he came off of. All of his numbers are up pretty much, with maybe the exception of actual batting average, which is basically the uh, vanilla stat that everybody looks at. So when you really dive into what Daniel Johnson's actually doing in Akron, the power is up, the run production is up, his means of creating runs is up. Of course, we talked about the home runs. But he's doing it in a bunch of different ways. It's not just power. And we talked about him as one of the top prospects as as far as outfielders are concerned in the Indians organization. I wonder what the Indians player development team is thinking about him right now. If they want to get him into Cleveland quicker than anticipated, if they want to keep him on the same track based on production alone, you know, you'd think you'd see him in Columbus at some point this season. I don't know about Cleveland, but Columbus is definitely not far off to say. So I I don't know what the track's going to be, but if he continues this kind of a tear, he's not going to stay in double-A for much longer. Considering the fact that he has already 89 games coming into this season at double-A level, I know some of that was missed due to in, the injury that we mentioned before, but, you know, he's closing, he's up over 100 games now at the double-A level, and now, you know, Oscar Mercado just got promoted to Cleveland, hopefully for the long term. So uh, maybe there's a spot open in Columbus if, that uh, that uh, Daniel Johnson could fill. Uh, I don't know, but uh, if he if there's a spot open where he gets every day at bats, I wouldn't doubt that the Indians might consider pushing him up, just because it seems like he's doing has very little to prove right now in Double A. I mean. They'll probably give it another few weeks just to see how he uh, comes down from this hot streak and see how he responds to that because, you know, he has had uh, a couple of ups and downs this this year to date. But overall, you know, you mentioned, you know, his walk rate is up. Uh, based on his uh, 2018 AA numbers, he had a 5.9 walk percentage uh, last year. And this year, that's up to 10.4, so almost double where he was at last year. Uh, the strikeout rate is actually down a little bit from uh, last year. He was at 23% last year. So far this year, 21.4%. Um, his isolated power is obviously shot through the roof. 143 last year. It's up to 286 right now. And yeah, you mentioned the, the batting average and balls in play. It's actually gone down from 338 last year to 293 this year. So very sustainable numbers there. And then, of course, you go through the uh, traditional stats, batting average on base and slugging, and then, you know, a 406 weighted on base and a 163 weighted runs created plus. I mean, there's nothing that this guy isn't doing right now, it seems like. And not to mention, he's also got six stolen bases, and he's, uh, you know, you mentioned the batting average not being as high as probably someone would like it to be, but 271 is still nothing to be ashamed of. And... You know, he's also got seven doubles, he's got two triples, he's got those stolen bases I mentioned, and I think he's a guy who could, when I saw, when I, I mentioned this before, when he was traded for, he's, I struck me as very toolsy, I hesitate to use the term five-tool player because I don't like throwing that around very loosely, but uh, 
I think that Johnson possesses a lot of intriguing tools as far as his hit ability, his power stroke, his ability to steal some bases. He's obviously got the great uh, fielding uh, sense and a great uh, throwing arm, so he's got a lot of tools that if put together in the right combination and honed to uh, their full potential. He could be a starting caliber, maybe even all-star major league player. I, and there's not a part of me that doesn't doubt that if that, uh, if everything goes right for him in the last stages of his development. Starting caliber, definitely. All-star, maybe. Obviously, a lot of stuff has to go right for that kind of thing to happen. But you were comparing his numbers to last year. I was comparing him to 2017 when he won player of the year. But even so, Jake, we both have points to make that he's improving in basically every facet of his game, except in the one vanilla stat that not everyone, like, you know, the baseball purists are kind of going away from it, but at the surface, you're common, you know, looking at the numbers and seeing who's who and seeing who does what is batting average. You know, you think batting average, home runs, RBIs. You see it on the TV graphics. You see it everywhere. And some might look at, right now, a batting average of 271 is a little mediocre, but this is a guy who is personifying sabermetrics and he is finding ways to do different things in different ways. And he's having success at a lot of different things. So look, we talked about his projectability in Columbus right now. Columbus's outfielders are Greg Allen, Brandon Barnes, Mike Pappy, and Trace Thompson. I'm assuming Allen uh, one way or another would work his way into Cleveland at some point, whether it's injury or whatever it is. Barnes, I feel like will be in Cleveland for a long time period of time pappy and thompson you know if they're roster fill-ins if if the indians organization they're not currently on the 40 man so whatever they see in them but the point is based on talent alone daniel johnson can fit in that outfield right now so it's not like a um it's not like he would get buried in a depth chart in columbus by promoting him so yeah like you said earlier if he gets more at bats and continues to do this kind of thing where he continues to show these improvements, then yeah, of course he'll be in Columbus sooner rather than later. But could he project to Cleveland this year, as early as this year, maybe as like a September call-up? That conversation can be started. I think it could be, and uh, it's still a little early for that. And, you know, this is going to be interesting because this is, isn't this year the last year to the traditional September call-up now that they've changed the rules and made it so uh, you, you can only have a certain number of players now? Uh, I think it's only 20, you're only allowed to 25 or 26 players uh, on a roster at any given time, so uh, I, I'll have to go back and go through those rule changes. But, uh, yeah, I still think that Johnson could be a September call-up option at some point if his uh, season continues on the trajectory that it's on. Um I think the Indians like him as a lot, as much as they like the guy like Oscar Mercado. He, both of them got a lot of looks in spring training and big league camp. So now Mercado's in Cleveland. Johnson should be on his way to Columbus here pretty soon, uh, you, one would think. So uh, now it's just a matter of, you know, if he can continue to perform at this level and continue to impress and show that, yeah, he's ready for the next level and ready to keep moving up. He'll get to that next level quicker than anticipated, I feel. And it's really impressive, not just because he's put these numbers up, but after that ham eight bone, we've seen players, particularly minor leaguers, sustain that ham eight bone injury. And that's a tough thing to come back from when you have a hand injury like that. So 
I think it's even more remarkable that he's doing what he's doing right now. And it might be different if, you know, it was a shock value to it. I don't see that much shock value in what he's doing. We knew what he was when the Indians traded for him. To think that it was just, you know, Jan Gomes who, you know, was getting older and not producing as much clearly. And the Indians had a vision for the catcher spot with Roberto Perez and Eric Haas and getting Kevin Ploiecki in. It's really awesome to see this, that the Indians basically got a recycled part from a different organization for a player they probably didn't have plans for anyway. So it's all pleasant right now. And however long this development track takes, it's it's fine because, yeah, Bradley Zimmer's going to come back to Cleveland. And they have temporary guys like Cargo in there. And Leonis Martin, you know, who who knows how long he's actually going to be there for. I'm not talking about contract or anything like that. You know, if they see him as a veteran presence, they want to keep around for an extended period of time. But to think of an outfield with Jake Bowers, Bradley Zimmer, Daniel Johnson, and Oscar Mercado as options one day, that's so versatile. That is so toolsy. That is so unique, and the Indians organization has to feel really good about that in the long term. Absolutely, and uh, that with all the uh, frustration over what's transpired with the off season and the outfield, and you know the revolving door that it's been so far, it's nice to know. It has to be a somewhat comforting for Indians fans to feel that they're outfield could be in good hands someday with guys like Mercado and Johnson and heck even if Bradley Zimmer can come back and still be in the mix and and then you mentioned Jake Bowers too who's obviously doing some good things I think that uh all those guys could put this outfield and lock down all three of those positions and four of those positions if uh, you include the the fourth outfield spot uh they they could do that very uh very well and be very capable of it so um shifting gears here to kind of the uh less cheerful side of the news, uh, Lenny Torres, a guy who, you know, a lot of people aren't very familiar with yet, uh, he just was drafted and had some time in, uh, Arizona rookie ball last year, uh, competitive balance pick out of, uh, out of New York State high school level, so, uh, he comes out of comes out of the draft and pitches to the tune of a 176 ERA and six appearances, five starts. He was uh, pretty well uh, bandied about as being a hard-throwing guy, high-octane fastball, uh, a guy who could be fast-tracked if uh, his stuff pans out as well as everybody expects it to. But, uh, you know, he's still young. He's 18 years old as well, so they could also take their time in his development as well. But uh, they pretty much have no choice now. It's, it was announced that he has undergone Tommy John surgery and will not pitch in uh, 2019, which is unfortunate for any pitcher to have to miss that much development time. Uh, but if there's any time to get it done, the earlier the better. And... Torres will miss all of 2019. He will return in his age 19 season, probably begin his affiliated ball uh, journey then. And uh, he should still be on good, on good track for uh, developmentally as far as his uh, timeline goes. But we wish Lenny Torres all the best and a speedy recovery because, uh, you know, 
reconstructive elbow surgery. It's no joke, uh, but it's gotten to the point now where, you know, getting it done is not as big a deal as it used to be, and guys are coming back more healthy than ever, uh, more often than not. So, uh, again, best wishes to Lenny Torres uh, in his recovery from surgery and hope nothing for the best for him. Yeah, this is just talent. Pure talent is what he is. Raw talent at 18. And like you said, in two ways. Number one, it's good that this is happening early and this isn't happening in July or August once he's actually in Mahoning Valley pitching. He, he was going to frontline that scrapper's rotation. I have no doubt in my mind. Um, it's good this is happening now. If it does happen, you never want to see it happen, of course. But also... I hope that this is a case where he can come back and rehab because he's still growing as a human being and as a as a male adult. He's still growing. So if he can grow into a reconstructed arm and then learn to develop his game from there, you know, we've seen it, like you said, more often than not where it works. And the times where it doesn't, a.k.a. Brady Aiken, let's be blunt, it's not pretty. So... I'm optimistic, of course, because of the technology, because of where medicine is today, because of the testimonials and the examples that have been put in front of us over the last couple of years, whether it's major leaguers or minor leaguers getting this kind of surgery. And Lenny Torres is one of the more premier arms to come out of New York State in quite some time. Um, thinking of like Ian Anderson, who was a number three pick in 2016, Scott Blewett, who was a, uh, second round pick, I think in 2014. So, um, he comes out of a pretty prestigious grouping in that state. And this is a guy who could throw heat. He can mix it up with the slider, good wipeout pitch. And he's got a lot of talent, all the talent in the world to make it. Now he's just got to come back and grow into a new arm and kind of maybe reset a little bit next year. Maybe you won't see him until middle of next year in Mahoning Valley once he rehabs. So we'll see what happens. I hope it's for the best. And yes, like you said, and I'll echo that sentiment, best of luck to him. Hope everything works out well. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and we're looking forward to him coming back. Cause I was, like probably many others, looking forward to seeing him on the mounds, likely in Mahoning Valley, as you said, hoping to see him in Northeast Ohio pitching somewhere. But uh, that will have to wait. We will see him eventually, though, I'm sure. So uh, best wishes to uh, Lenny and his recovery. So uh, I want to go to uh, a pitcher who's kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum, a guy who actually was not a pitcher until recently. And we mentioned him, I think, in a closing statement in one of our uh, early season Farm Report podcasts, uh, talking about how he joined uh, Lynchburg's pitching staff, and and we were intrigued to see what he could do. And right now, uh, there's no doubt about it, he's doing some great things in Lynchburg right now, becoming a key member of that bullpen. I'm talking about former Major League outfielder Anthony Goes who is just uh, dominating right now in the Carolina League. He's got seven appearances under his belt for the Hillcats. He's 1-0 with a 104 ERA. He has saved both of the save, uh, opportunities he has had. And in eight and two-thirds innings, he's got only two hits allowed, one run, six walks, so it's 
a little bit of some control issues, but 10 strikeouts. I mean, I don't know what kind of expectations we can put on Anthony Goes for as a guy who's 28 years old and reinventing himself and going all the way back down to A-ball to do it, but this is something that is worth keeping an eye on moving forward here. I don't know if the Indians have any real long-term plans for him. This is maybe more of hit them just giving him a chance to try and uh, continue to develop his skills on the mound, but seems like he's uh, he's found something right now, and it's it's definitely interesting to see for a guy who has followed the career path that he has. And I'll tell you what, not just effective, but since his first outing, if you throw out his first outing where he allowed an earned run on two hits and two innings, he's been nearly perfect. Um, since then, six and two-thirds innings, no runs, no hits. I'll, I'll say five walks and eight strikeouts, so the walks are up a little bit. But still, over his last uh, six appearances, no runs, no hits. Very impressive for him. For former, uh, I guess you'd call him a fourth outfielder. I don't know how much he started, really. You know, he was on some bad teams. But something's working for him. And this isn't his first trial as a pitcher. He's tried it in 2017. He got all the way up to double A in 2018, where he appeared in 21 games, actually. Didn't do well, but he still got to the double A level uh, with Frisco, uh, with the uh, Texas League. So I don't know what this is going to be, but it's nice for now. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying seeing a kind of a redemption story for a guy who made his major league debut what, seven years ago now? About approaching seven years? As a former second-round pick, you know, thought highly regarded talent out of uh, California, came out of high school, and now he's re- rebirthing himself as a pitcher, as a reliever, and he's doing it well. Kudos to him for the perseverance. Kudos to him for um, going out there, having the mental capacity to hit the reset button, finding his niche, finding his love for the game and retooling it in different ways. This is really cool to see that he's doing this. And if it's sustainable and it can keep going, you know, we might see him in Akron soon. Absolutely. And uh, that will be very interesting to see to get him up in Northeast Ohio because I remember seeing him when he was kind of hitting rock bottom in his career as a position player. He went all the way back down from Detroit, which was, I believe, his last major league stop. Uh, he was their starting center fielder, I think, for a uh, year or two. And he had fallen all the way down to double-A Erie as an outfielder. And there were a lot of things going wrong with him. And all of a sudden, I think the next year the, the next year he decides he wants to reinvent himself as a pitcher. And then works his way back up. And this is definitely, uh, at the very least good kind of feel good story fodder here because um if he if and when he does make it back to the major leagues as a pitcher at this rate if he can do so um it's definitely going to be an inspiring story to tell uh for years to come both for him and for uh just diehard baseball fans just to point to as an example of uh perseverance and uh finding ways to make it work uh, no matter what and no matter how steep the odds are. And right now, Anthony Ghost is definitely doing that and doing it very well. So uh, wishing him the 
all the best in his continued efforts to uh, uh, find his way back up to the major leagues as a pitcher. And whether, whether or not it's in Cleveland, uh, I commend his efforts. So, um, all right. So this is a guy we've talked about also at length before and talked about, you know, his approach and how unique it is and really what we're trying to pinpoint exactly what we are looking at with him and whether the success he has it seems year in and year out is sustainable. And uh, we want to say no because logic would say that what he does at the plate is not sustainable, and yet it seems like each year he just goes out and does it. And that's Oscar Gonzalez, who we mentioned, I think, a couple weeks ago, uh, who is right now batting three fifty seven with a couple homers and 30 RBIs in 38 games. I mean, we're almost toward the end of May here. He's still batting over three fifty, and, you know, we might be thinking, okay, this guy is just really locked in right now? Yeah, perhaps, but consider the fact that he's only got two walks versus 34 strikeouts in those games, and it seems like this guy's just breaking all the rules and the conventional wisdom of baseball right now, and the question I think we all have to ask and we all have to ponder right now is does this mean that we're overvaluing what, or maybe even undervaluing, maybe might be the better term, what Oscar Gonzalez does and does he really need to do more as far as drawing more walks and improving his approach and patience at the plate to be successful? Or is there just going to be some point that we're all expecting where the other shoe is going to drop and he's going to hit a wall and him not drawing walks is really going to come back to haunt him? I think the key word is sustainability. You look at some prospects, top prospects, and Oscar Gonzalez I would consider a top outfield prospect in the Indians organization. You look at what each of these players do in a vacuum. Of course, all these players are different. But Oscar Gonzalez is a pure contact hitter. He's a free swinger. He's aggressive. He isn't afraid to swing the bat, quite literally. And as a result, it is an all-or-nothing thing. So right now what we're seeing with him through at least, we'll call it 40 games, is all. We're seeing it all right now. We're seeing what could be and what theoretically is, I would say, the maximum output that he could have for an all-or-nothing approach. Look at it this way, okay? A 1.3 walk percentage. That is crazy low. That's ridiculously low. That's absurdly low. And a 21.3 strikeout percentage, which, believe it or not, is actually down from not just last year, but two years ago when he was in, um, I think it was Lake County he would have been in, or it would have been Mahoning Valley, excuse me, two years ago when he was in Mahoning Valley. So it's regardless, it's a, it's as low as it's ever been. Meanwhile, he is hitting three fifty seven, but, big but here, his batting average on balls in play is four forty six. That's That's an absurd. Astronomical. Astronomical is the word. That You never see that. A guy hitting nearly 500, those, those that are listening and aren't familiar with that term, batting average on balls in play, balls that are hit in fair territory, are they outs or are they base hits? Almost half the time when he puts the ball in fair territory, it's a hit. And for a guy that doesn't 
draw walks. You would think his batting average, you know, with regard to an on-base percentage is thin. Yeah, it absolutely is. His batting average at 357, his on-base is only 369. Jake, imagine if he drew 5, 10, 15 more walks, whatever it is. That on-base could be at 400 right now. Just uh, just thinking about that, and that would drive his OPS up, obviously, from where it is at 878. So what he's doing right now is so rare, and I don't think you'll see it anywhere else. His weighted runs created, which a standard is 100. He's at 150. He's blowing sabermetrics out of the water. And the, the word I mentioned at the start of this was sustainability. How long does Oscar Gonzalez, and throughout his career realistically, not just this year, but throughout his career, continue this approach and having success with it? Is it a case of pitchers are going to start? This is going to sound weird, but they're going to just start unintentionally, intentionally walking him or trying to because they know he'll swing at it? Are these habits that are going to be consistent traits over time? This is a real fascinating scenario because the stats show that this is the peak of the all or nothing. And the valley of the nothing could be really drastic if that time ever happens. Yeah, and we keep waiting for it to happen. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't have a few games where he doesn't get hit or is off his game, but it's very rare. And I don't think, to my knowledge, we've really seen, like, the true valley that you're talking about as far as his hitting is concerned. I mean, you know, you go back to like 2015, he only batted 203, but even then, he still drew 19 walks versus 65 strikeouts, so his walk rate is, was still up higher, and I don't know, it's it's such an interesting case with Oscar Gonzalez, because as I mentioned, all the rules dictate as far as traditional baseball understanding, and even the new uh, school baseball understanding say that uh, Oscar Gonzalez should not be doing as well as he is with what he is doing at the plate as far as his approach is concerned. And I don't know. It Maybe he's a guy who's like that always, but I do think that there will be a point. It's almost, it's inevitable. I mean, we're th- almost 40 games into, this, into his season. We're barely, even, not even halfway through the season yet. And as far as the minor league uh, side of things is concerned. So I still say that whether it's this year or some point in his future, he's going to hit that wall. I, th- I still believe that. It's just it, it's hard to avoid, even for him. And when he does, that is what what is going to, for me, define what and who Oscar Gonzalez is as a player and as a hitter. And... That once that point comes, that's where um, we'll start to see who he will get the full picture of what he can do and what he's capable of. But at this point, we know that he's got talent. We know he can put the bat on the ball. We know he can hit for a high average. Uh, the question is, when the times start to go bad on him, what's he going to do then, and how is he going to adjust? That's the time I'm waiting for. So I hate to root for you know a any kind of slump or uh, any any kind of negative uh, outcome for a player, but 
in in Oscar Gonzalez's case, it's almost necessary because I think that that's where you start to uh, that's where you're going to truly see and uh, be able to evaluate uh, who he is as a prospect and what kind of future he has. Let me put this in some context, and I'm not saying Oscar Gonzalez is any of these players, but looking at some of the elite players in Major League Baseball, just at batting average on balls in play, Mookie Betts, 368. That's an MVP right there. Christian Yelich, another MVP, 373 batting average on balls in play. Francisco Lindor, 279. Jose Ramirez, 252. Mike Trout, 346. So the elite players in baseball will have a batting average on balls at play. I guess average it out to around 300. Theoretically, you would hit 300, maybe 320, 330. And if you're truly elite, Betts, Trout, Yelich, Matt Chapman right now with the Astros last year at a 338. If you're truly elite, it'll probably be 340 and north of that. So Oscar Gonzalez, again, I'm not saying he's that, but... Right now, that number is 446. It's astronomical. It's unheard of. Once that comes back to Earth, that'll kind of, I think, be the tell-all stat here. Unless it is walks and he just starts drawing more walks, which I don't think happens anytime soon. But if that batting average on balls and play creeps down into the 300s, what do the rest of his numbers do? What are, what's a slump look like for him? How, ba- how bad, literally, putting a blunt word on it, does it look? I'm curious to see how this whole thing pans out or if he does start to draw more walks. And that just spikes him up in the prospect ranks immediately, I would say. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, because we know, as I said, we know what kind of skills he has. And we also know what kind of skills he doesn't have. And the question is going to be when the shortcomings he has rear their ugly head, will the uh, strengths that he has be able to bail him out? And that's where... That's where you're going to get the true measure of not just a guy like Gonzalez, but any player. That's what scouts look for. They want to see how they 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 want to see how a guy succeeds, but I think more often than not, they want to see how a guy fails and how he responds to it. So um, that's that's what I think is going to be the defining moment for Oscar Gonzalez when he has not just failure because we know in baseball there baseball is a game built around failure i'm talking about when he has a long stretch of failure that is probably going to get in his head it's going to frustrate him it's going to make him think twice about what whatever he's doing at the plate and, and second guess everything um at that point that's where you're going to see uh what he is cap- truly capable of as i mentioned before so uh, I know we're kind of going around the same record a few times, but uh, I know I, I do firmly believe that uh, once we see Oscar Gonzalez hit that inevitable slump, that that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna see what kind of player he is. And I'm I don't want, I hate to say I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to any player hitting any kind of rough patch, but uh, that's where I want to see when when that happens. I I will definitely be paying attention to see how uh it turns out for him and hopefully it turns out well and he ends up being that uh top end outfield prospect that uh that we believe him to be so uh speaking of top end outfield prospects how about will benson being named midwest league player of the week and 
you know, he's doing things pretty well overall this year. We talked about him early on in the season, how he's been able to draw a few more walks, get on base more, hit for a higher average, basically doing a uh, almost complete reversal from last season when, speaking of all or nothing, I mean, he was all or nothing in the home run department. If he wasn't hitting the ball out of the park, he wasn't doing much of anything. So, uh, But you look at him so far this year, He's batting 267, so come down to earth a little bit, but he's got nine homers, 28 RBIs. Uh, he's drawn 18 walks versus 52 strikeouts. That's good for a 356 on base percentage. He's got a 905 OPS, so, uh, you know, still some, still striking out a lot, still some uh, rough edges to be uh, smoothed out a bit with Benson, which isn't surprising for a guy as young as he is, but. Right now in Lake County, uh, you know, over his last 10 games, he's batting 308 with three homers and six RBIs. I think that uh, with Benson, you have to look at him overall and what he's doing. And, you know, he got off to a good start, then he came back to earth a little bit, and now he's starting to uh, figure things out again and start to uh, string some hits together. So uh, good to see for Will Benson, and congrats to him on winning uh, Midwest League Player of the Week. He's doing well in his last 10 games. 308, 12 hits, 3 home runs, 6 RBIs, 4 walks, 10 strikeouts. I'm okay with that. 3 stolen bases, too. We, we forget how powerful he is in addition to how fast he is. That's unbelievable, the kind of athlete that Will Benson is. Um, this turnaround that he's had this year, which if you remember at the beginning of the year, Jake, we were talking about, okay, 180 last year. Yes, the power's there, but it's true three outcome kind of guy. How does he get away from it? He's for sure not just taking strides to do that, but he's improving on a lot of those power numbers as well. Uh, a 282 ISO right now, which is nearly just ridiculous. It's just crazy. Um, batting average on balls to play 371, so he's getting a little bit of luck as well. 154 way runs created plus that's elite status right there in that league. He's improving, not just on the batting average, but his on base is up as well. He's drawing a, a, you know, slightly fewer walks, but I'm not too overly concerned with that just because he's starting to actually make contact and put base hits down and less of a true three outcome guy. And these are steps that he needed to take. You know, walk, crawl before you walk, walk before you run. He's starting to walk now, I think. We're at, we're out of crawling. And I think he kind of stopped crawling when he had four home runs in a game. He's kind of walking now, back on his own feet, back on a, on a rhythmic pace, back in some kind of uh, shoot where he's developing. When does he start running? What steps does he have to do to start running? He has a lot of time to figure that out still. You know, just at the age of 20 got a lot of time so i'm very encouraged by the turnaround he's had so far through these 36 games in this sample size but let's not forget now okay while he does have nine home runs almost half of those were in one game so is the power production sans that game or if you just consider it one home run and give him six for the year you know take three away you know the power production's still kind of there so you got to be happy with what you're seeing if you're the Indians organization and you're looking at Will Benson, a former first-round pick. Well, I think if you consider where he was last year and 
look at where he is now. I mean, like I said, he still has some work to do, but I think any strides he's taken right now and are is progress at this point. And he's taken a couple of nice strides so far this year. As far as improving on batting average, he's still hitting for power. He's uh, trying to... Uh, He's already got as many stolen bases this year as he did all of last year. He's got 12 so far this year. So the speed is definitely uh, kicking kicking in and coming into play. He's already closing in on as many extra base hits as he had last year outside of the home runs. You know, last year he only had 11 doubles and a triple in addition to the 22 homers. So far this year he's got a triple and eight doubles uh, in addition to those nine home runs. So uh, starting to hit for some extra base hits and starting to do basically a little more of everything in addition to hitting for power. So as long as he keeps going on that same path and that trajectory, uh, I think it's all positive for Will Benson. And, you know, it's great to see for the Indians and hopefully it continues as he uh, moves forward in his development. But, uh, Corey, you wanted to mention a guy who's been uh, dominating in Columbus right now. He's not necessarily a prospect for the Indians, as they they uh, brought him in during the off season, I believe. And right, but right now you look at what he's doing in Columbus, and he's pitching pretty well. And I'm talking about Josh Smith or Josh D. Smith, as I guess as he prefers to be known. Uh, he's 5-0 and with a 157 ERA in 15 appearances. Uh, he saved two games. He's got 23 innings of work, allowed four runs on eight hits in those innings. He's only allowed uh, nine walks. Uh, he's had a couple hit by pitches, a couple home runs, but 28 strikeouts in 23 innings, a 105 batting average against, an 0.74 whip. I mean... This guy's a uh, a left-handed pitcher, and you know it looks like he's 29 years old. He's been around a little bit, but right now he's pitching about as well as anybody that the Indians have in the upper levels. And maybe he could be a uh, lefty relief pitching option uh, for them. I mean, I'm looking at the splits right now; they're pretty even between lefties and righties. Actually, he's more effective against righties right now than he is against lefties, but only by a few points so uh josh d smith uh as far as an indians bullpen option what do you what are your thoughts Corey? i think it's an intriguing find that they're experiencing right now at triple a and the key thing here is that he's left-handed is there room for him as a left-handed option if he continues this kind of a thing that he's doing with a 157 era with a 105 average against with a sub one whip is this the kind of guy the Indians would make room for? I know it's a 40-man move would have to happen. They would have to find spot for him, which, you know, with Chi Wei Hu and John Carlos Mejia and Sam Henkes still on there, there's room to make if they feel the need to. So whether whatever happens in the Indians' bullpen, if they feel like they need either another left-handed option or if... God forbid something happens to Brad Hand or something happens in that bullpen. This could be an interesting find that the Indians have. And, you know, we've seen it where the Indians pull these almost retread relievers, give them a home, and they find a home and they make it a home. And it works in Cleveland. You know, drafted 2012 in the 25th round, 29 years old. This is a guy who's kind of pitching for 
you know, of course he loves baseball, but he's kind of pitching to get back, maybe to prove that he can get back. Um, maybe in a way, you know, he hasn't made his major league debut yet. Maybe in a way he's still trying to find that. And it's not like he hasn't been bad at all. 314 ERA last year in 30 appearances. He started 14 games. He really hasn't been in a full reliever role since 2017. But even so, 5-1 and one with a 301 ERA uh, between Pawtucket and Portland. That's AAA and AA respectively with the Red Sox. So it's apparent that Boston couldn't find a spot for him, you know, with what they have in their bullpen. This is an interesting find by the Indians, one of those diamonds in the rough, if you will. Um, and so far, it's looking really good in Columbus. I just don't know if, if the Indians see him as an option to, you know, to get up into Cleveland and be another left-handed pitcher and see what he can do up there at some point. I would imagine that he's caught their eye. I mean, they've had to rotate a lot of relievers in and out of that bullpen due to some short starts uh, by uh, some of their starters up there. They've had to get some fresh arms up there. So I think I would think that uh, Josh D. Smith has to be on their radar. So and I, I, I'll admit it, I haven't uh, been following his uh, season very much, but after looking at some of those numbers, I definitely am intrigued and I want to see – what he could do if the Indians decide to uh, go with him as a another lefty option. I know they got a few up there already, but uh, I, I would think that the way he's pitching, Smith should definitely be on their uh, major league radar at this point. So, All right, Corey, so uh, we're running a little low on time here, so uh, just to kind of wrap things up, let's get to our player of the week for this weekend. Somebody I think neither one of us really expected, but... I think somebody who definitely deserves it, just given how he's been playing lately. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and review last week's picks. Uh, neither one of us, uh, we picked a couple of starters out of Lake County. Neither one of us uh, fared very well. Luis Oviedo, for me, made two starts and allowed seven runs on nine hits over eight and two-thirds innings. About seven walks and seven strikeouts as well. And three hit batters. A 7.27 ERA, a 185 WHIP. So Oviedo not able to capitalize on that after that one uh, really good start he had last week. And for you, uh, Raymond Burgos made one start, four, three runs on four hits over four and a third innings, uh, one walk versus six strikeouts, a 6.24 ERA and a 115 WHIP. I mean, it's not great either, but I think you bested me on that one. Uh, Burgos actually on the uh, injured list now for Lake County. He's got a, I think, a forearm strain. So uh, wishing him the best in his recovery. But uh, yeah, neither one of us did well. But uh, Corey, it looks like of the two of us, uh, you picked the better option there. Sometimes one's more than zero. <laughs> I, I, you know, neither of us nailed it. But um, I, I just think. Burgos, I hope he gets healthy, first of all. Forearm strain doesn't sound serious. Um, it's not like he was – he probably just got hurt in that start. That's why he only went four and a third innings. Um, you know, six strikeouts, one walk. He did give up a couple of runs on, you know, three runs on four hits. So it was a shaky outing, but, you know, I don't know. Three points, it's not earned. I know, I guess. It could have been better, but I'll take him where I can get him, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and review our uh, player of the week for this week. And 
like I said, somebody who we didn't really expect, uh, somebody who hasn't really been in the spotlight a lot of late, but i got to tell you, the way he's been playing uh, so far this year, and or over so far uh, this week, rather, and I couldn't think of anybody more deserving. I'm talking about Mark Mathias in Columbus, who right now over his last 10 games is batting 410 with a couple homers, five RBIs. Over the last week, he batted even 400 with those two homers, two doubles, five RBIs, three walks versus four strikeouts, so a nice ratio there. He's got a stolen base in there as well, and man, he he caught fire in a hurry. I mean, he was batting uh, under 230 heading into this this past 10 game stretch, and since then he's just been locked in. He's already up to all the way up to 283 now, and he even mixed in a perfect 4-for-4 four four effort with a homer and two RBIs back uh, last week. I think uh, the day after this, or the day this podcast posted last week, uh, he had that four-hit effort and has been locked in on pretty much during that whole stretch. So uh, congrats to Mark Mathias on Player of the Week. Uh, Well-deserved, and hopefully this kind of success, I don't know if he's going to continue to bat 400, but man, he's he's swinging it well in Columbus right now. I think he's a little irate that not only is he getting preferred, I guess, in Cleveland, uh, you know, to the likes of Eric Stamets, is you think he's a little peeved that he's not on the forty-man roster and Eric Stamets is, as an example. Point is, Mark Mathias had a down year. You know, he's had some ups and downs throughout his career, injuries. Um, you know, he hasn't been healthy. I think a couple of years ago, he, he missed a good part of the season, um, 2017. So looking for a rebound kind of a year. Had a healthy year last year. That's the important thing, getting out for 117 games. And now he's improved his game back to kind of where he was in 2016, even in 2015 when he was drafted. Kind of the profiled hitter and the profiled player that the Indians looked for when they picked him up in the third round. He's improved his batting average over those 10 games you mentioned, hitting 410. He's improved his batting average, 53 points. He's striking out as much as he's walking, driving in runs, showing power, base hits, 16 hits in his last 10. He's kind of doing it all right now for the Clippers. And I get to wondering if the Indian, I get to wonder rather if the Indians are looking at him as a guy who can make an impact on this team, whether it's for an injury call-up or whether it's rosters expanding, whatever it is, I feel like he's starting to get himself back into form where we know he can be. And I think he can get there this year if he, he keeps this kind of thing up. You know, again, a hot week, no doubt. Um, but, I mean, just in his last, he's he's got – you know, eight games out of those last 10 where he has at least one hit. He's got one, two, three, four, five multi-hit games. He's kind of doing it all right now, like I said, for the Clippers. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we definitely congratulate him on winning player of the week. Keep up the good work and see if he can uh, win his way up to Cleveland. And I don't know if that would happen because they have a pretty full infield right now. But, uh, you know, a guy, any guy who can hit hit that well, I'm sure somebody will find a spot for him, so uh, keep up that uh, keep up that pace, Mark. It's uh, definitely fun to watch, so uh, 
picks for next week, Corey. Let's hope that both of us do better. Uh, who do you have? I want to sit in Lynchburg. I was initially looking at Robert Broom because of how effective he's been this year. Just one earned run in 19 in the third innings. But I think I'm going to go to the tune of the hitters. And I'm looking at Stephen Kwan, who's had a really underrated season. And we talked about him a few weeks ago as a pure leadoff hitter, pure table setter, contact guy. But he's had a down week lately. Um, you know, he, he was kind of hitless there for a while. Started to pick it back up about a week ago. And he's starting to get back in there. Um, he, he, is, he has three multi-hit games in his last six. He's coming off a two for five uh, last night on Sunday as we record this. I like what Stephen Kwan's brought to the table this year. And I think after struggling a little bit over the last week, he's kind of found it. I want to see him heat back up. Yeah, Stephen Kwan, uh, ha- haven't really heard a lot from him since his uh, fiery start to the season. And, boy, he was locked in, no doubt. So, um I would like to see him get back on top there and see what he could do. Um, I'm actually going to go the reliever route, uh, as you had originally mentioned, because there's a guy right now in Akron who we've mentioned before who is, you know, we we talked about the James Karinchaks of of the system and how impressive a start they that he's gotten off to. I'll tell you a guy who isn't too far behind on as far as that's concerned is uh, Kyle Nelson, who, uh, for all intents and purposes, is just dominating on every level right now. I mean, so far this season between Lynchburg and Akron, he's got uh, only one unearned run allowed on six hits over 16 innings. He's walked only two and struck out 27. So, you know, he's not striking out batters at quite the insane clip that uh, James Karinchak is. But for as far as everything else con- is concerned, he's right on par with where uh, Karinchak was before he got hurt. So uh, I'm looking at Kyle Nelson and Akron to continue uh, the kind of dominance that he's showed all season long. Oh, the command that he's had is phenomenal. He's been nothing short of spectacular this year. As great as Karinchak has been on the reliever end, as great as Zach Plezak has been on the starter's end, Kyle Nelson's kind of gone, I don't want to say unnoticed because we've, we've paid attention to what he's doing, but he's kind of flying under that radar. And I'm sure the Indians organization is well aware of what he's doing. But even since he got up to Akron, five appearances, one run in six and two-thirds innings, he's got 10 strikeouts in that span. So what? Out of that, that's half of his outs. By in my math, in my head, twenty outs, ten strikeouts. So that's pretty impressive. You know, we think of Karachak as far as elite relievers go, and he's at about what two thirds, I would say, uh, at a, at a clip of you know striking out batters uh, of the outside he records. For Kyle Nelson to strike out half the batters he's faced so far, it's pretty impressive in his debut in Akron. Yep, and uh, looked like. Even double A isn't going to slow him down. I mean, we'll see if that continues. But, uh, I mean, they're just the, some of these guys who just come up through the system and they just blow everybody away no matter what. So we'll see how far that can carry him. But that's my pick for next week. So uh, final thoughts, Corey. We are trying not to uh, let the show go too long this week. We're going to try to keep this within the uh, 45, 50-minute mark here. Well, we're closing 
in on like closing on an hour, but we'll try to keep it within the hour mark here. But uh, to wrap things up, Corey, uh, final thoughts. We're less than a month away from the Scrappers start. How about that? That's how quick we're moving. Yeah, and uh, the MLB draft is coming too. Uh, I'm sure Jeff Ellis will have some uh, draft breakdowns and mock drafts coming up here if he hasn't already. Uh, be sure to check him out uh, at Jeff MLB Draft on Twitter for all the breakdowns and pre-draft uh, discussion. But uh, keep an eye out for that. And then, of course, after that, the, the scrapper season, as Corey mentioned, will begin. Uh, uh, anything else on that end? I think that's just it. Just kind of like, hey, we're we're uh, what eleven days out from June recording this. We're less than two weeks away from the dog days beginning. It's amazing how fast this season's moving. Absolutely, and uh, the weather's been warming up, and you know, we're oh, has to... it ever? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I mean, I know it's cooled off a little bit today as we record this, but uh, over the weekend, yeah, we saw some of that heat and humidity that we've grown accustomed to during the uh, those aforementioned dog days, as you as you said. So uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of those as the season wears on here. My final thought is I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Luke Carlin and the Lake County Captains. And if you want a, an exciting minor league team to follow right now, I think that of all the teams in the Indians' farm system – I don't think you can pick a better one than uh, Lake County because right now uh, they are second in their division, a game and a half behind uh, the first place Great Lakes Loons. And beyond that, uh, they also own, I believe, the third best home record in all of the Midwest League. Uh, they're 16-9 and nine at home this year, so... And then you look at some of their stats, especially on the hitting side. You know, they are third in the league in uh, runs scored with 194. They're third in the league in stolen bases at 53. They're fourth in home runs at 32. And they're fourth in the league in OPS at 703. So, and then they can also pitch as well. I mean, we mentioned guys like Luis Silviedo. Uh, Raymond Burgos, some intriguing arms, both on the starter and in the bullpen side, and we already we all know that the kind of talents that are there: Will Benson, Tyler Freeman, Jose Fermin, uh, Bo Naylor, Quentin Holmes, and there's there's a lot of uh, big names there right now, and they're playing pretty well. So uh, I commend Luke Carlin for that, getting this group together and really getting them to hustle and, and do all the right things on the field right now. So, and they're definitely seeing the, the benefits of it, uh, with their, with their, uh, strong starts to the season. So, uh, get out to Lake County and see a game. If you want to see some exciting baseball right now. And to think that three really of their starting infielders have been out for a good portion of the season. Um, did I say outfielders? I meant infielders. Uh, Thinking about Jose Fermin, thinking about Marcos Gonzalez, thinking about Ulysses Cantu. That's shortstop, third base, and first base right there that have been down for a good portion of the year. Cantu's only played four games. Fermin's only played 17. Gonzalez has only played 11. And Carlin knows. Everyone that, in sidebar, everybody that we've talked to, I know you, certainly me, have talked to that has basically had a question about Luke Carlin. Everybody likes Luke Carlin. <laughs> Luke Carlin gets positive reviews, rave reviews from his players. He's clearly instilling 
the next man up routine into low A, which, you know, sometimes it's hard for those players that get down in the depth chart a little bit, maybe to, to pick up, you know, on a certain day. And when it really is their turn, they can be at their best. Luke Carlin's finding a way to develop these players and giving them that winning mindset. I love what's going on right now with the captains and, it's no surprise considering what the scrappers did last year, winning the Pinkney division. Absolutely. So hopefully the same fate is uh, in store for Lake County. Maybe they can even go a little further. Who knows? So uh, yeah, but get out to classic park and see a game. Cause it's a great, it's a great place. For those of you who live in the Cleveland area, it's not too far away and uh, good place to see a game, spend a nice summer night out there. So um Spend those dog days, as you, as Corey mentioned out there. Get get a cold drink and a hot dog and, and take in some captain's baseball. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, Corey, it's been a, a blast here today talking prospects and uh, already, uh, already excited for uh, Scrappers baseball to begin, the MLB draft, and seeing who's going to be the next crop of prospects for the Indians and we're only a mere few weeks away from all of that taking place but uh beyond that Corey uh, anything you want to plug before we uh, get out of here you know I don't know when it's gonna happen when I'll get it posted but as we talked about that Oscar Gonzalez thing I kind of want to put words to paper on that so maybe I'll get that spinning within the next uh, day or two here I got some things coming up this week and heading down to Pittsburgh for the weekend so I'll see if I can work that in this week Sounds good. Um, as for me, as always, the uh, four thoughts column, and uh, I want to apologize to everybody for uh, the lack of a smoke signals podcast last week. We're going to try to get back on track this week, and uh, we're going to talk about, of course, Shane Bieber's dominant effort uh, the other day, and the Indians playing well. Obviously, they should have played well against Baltimore, and they did, other than you know losing that one game, but. Uh, We'll talk about all the things going on with Oscar Mercado playing well and all things Tribe coming up this week with uh, me and Justin on uh, the Smoke Signals podcast, and we'll be back on track this week. So, uh, But uh, other than that, that's pretty much all I've got for now, so uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at JT Baseball. Corey's at CD Kristen. You can follow the uh, podcast account at smoke signals ibi and follow the site account at official underscore ibi get all the links get all the breaking news everything you can find there uh and hit us up on twitter if you have any prospect questions or anything you want to uh, pick our brains about uh we'll answer to the best of our knowledge as always uh, until next time though uh for Corey christen and the farm report podcast i'm jake dungan and we say to you have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.